Well, friends, I would like to invite you this morning to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33. There is an old adage adopted from the title of a 1940 Thomas Wolfe novel. Perhaps you already know what that is. You can never go home again. Imagine. A lot of discussion about what he meant by that. Was he referring to people that nobody wanted to come home? You can never come home again because people don't want you there? I don't think so. I think what the meaning of that was, my friends, is you can never go home because you've changed so much. And the people that lived where you used to grow, where you grew up, my friends, they have changed. New buildings go up, old buildings come down. Everything changes. I went home yesterday. My uh, nephew's son had his first birthday. We, there was a little bit of a party going on, and it was wonderful to go home. Had myself there a nice can of Fago Pop. Anybody ever have Fago Pop? It's a Michigan thing. Like me, right out of Detroit. Look it up. I was born in Henry Ford, Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. <laughs> Amazing that I don't have the name Ford in my name. Well, my friends, today in our study in Genesis 33, Jacob is headed home. Now, he has been on this journey, you may recall, because he was living up to his name, deceitful, supplanter. He's not a good dude. I mean, he, he tricked his brother out of the birthright, and he conned his father out of the blessing. And you may recall his brother Esau said to him, when my father has passed, I'm going to kill this man. He wanted this guy dead. He had taken everything that this guy looked forward to, and it was gone. And so Jacob was sent to live with his uncle Laban, and maybe find a wife there because his mother surely didn't want him marrying anyone from the neighborhood that they lived in at the time, the Canaanites. And so off he went. And you know about the adventures. You know that God blessed Uncle Laban because of Jacob. He grew quite wealthy, so wealthy when Jacob wanted to go home. He says, I'll tell you what, let's make a deal. Anything you want, stay another year. He met a couple of ladies. Remember, he uh, he married uh, uh, Rachel, woke up with Leah, and then married Rachel. 20 years he was in this place. But it was time to go home. And I'll tell you this, my friends. Before he did, you may recall, he wrestled with God. He had sent all of his family across the river, headed home, fearful, no doubt. And you may recall he wrestled with God. And I'll tell you this, friends, when you have an encounter with God, you will never be the same. If you have come to the point where you have trusted in Jesus Christ, your life becomes different. Your thoughts immediately change. Your priorities are different. Your habits begin to change. Your language begins to change. Everything changes when you come head to head with the Lord himself. 
And we see the evidence of that, perhaps why Jacob could never go home again because he was not the same man. And here's the evidence that we can lay out for uh, perhaps uh, uh, three indeed here in our chapter, verse 33. Three reasons why he was different. Notice, on display is his humility. Imagine that, putting someone else before you. Putting yourself last. Take a look here in verse 1 of Genesis 33. We see he humbled himself. He put his family safely behind him. Now you may recall in previous chapters that he put his family out in order. You know, everybody sent all of the animals. These guys, the camels, the donkeys and the sheep and the goats and all of those things out in front of him a barrier as it were but jacob put his family safe behind him you notice in verse one jacob lifted his eyes and looked and behold esau was coming and 400 men with him and the last words that he had heard from him is i'm gonna kill this guy well, he's got an army. When you read the book of Judges, they slaughtered nations with less people. 400 men with Esau. And so Esau was coming. And he divided up the children and the mothers. Look at here. So in, in, at the end of verse 1 and verse 2. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front and then Leah with her children Rachel and Joseph last of all and what we have here is the first sign of favoritism now Jacob didn't seem to learn that lesson his mother showed favoritism to him and now here he is showing that and we know the results of that and if you don't know we're going to keep studying and see what becomes this favoritism and so what he does is he takes all of his wives and matches them up with all of the children and puts them in line. And Joseph is the very last one in line. Rachel, his favorite wife before all else. And it feels like at this point, he's doing it all over again. But note here carefully, my friends, in verse 3. And he himself went on before them. Something's different about this guy. No barricades. For the first time in his life, he's looking out for someone else for himself. Imagine. When you have an encounter with the Lord, everything changes. And so he's humbled himself. Do you remember those days when you first came to faith in Christ? And people said, what's going on with you? What's so different? Because if you haven't heard that, those words, I wonder what, what's the deal there? Because I know that when I came to faith in Christ, and when I led others to faith in Christ, their lives were transformed. Everything became different. This voracious appetite for the Word of God couldn't get enough. My buddy and I, we're in our early 20s, and we're going to all these... Uh, Bible things in Grand Rapids. Oh, this guy's preaching. Let's go hear him. You know, people are looking at us like the football field's down there. What do you mean? What are you doing here? 
we could not get enough. We couldn't get enough. So he humbled himself. He put his family safe behind him. And notice this, he humbled himself before Esau, bowing himself down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But you know what? Jacob wasn't the only guy that changed. Notice here, my friends. Example number two of life change in Jacob's life is he began to give God the glory for what he had, not his own cleverness. Verse 4 we read, but Esau ran to meet him, and he pulled out a... He didn't. He just simply raised his hands and hugged the guy. Look at this. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept together. Let's take a moment to get rid of those chills to think that God is able to transform a man and a woman and a child. A man who wanted blood simply wanted his blood. And look at how awkward Jacob is with this. And see, Esau ran to meet him, but Esau asked about his family. Verse 5, and when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw this, the women and the children, and he said, who are these people? Who are these with you? And Jacob testified of the grace of God in his life. How great is that? He didn't tell the story of Laban's trickery. He only told about the grace of God at work in his life. Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given to your servant. And then the servants drew near and their children, and they bowed down, and Leah likewise, and their children drew near and bowed down and last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down in a family reunion that no one expected Esau surprised Jacob who is this guy yeah. he humbled himself he gave God the glory for all that he had and you know what he gave, to, he gave to his brother sacrificially. This is not something that Jacob has had in his life a lot of practice with, giving to others. He's really more specialized in the taking. But notice the change. Jacob was honest. He said, Esau, what do, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Talking about all those animals that he sent as gifts, hoping to soften his heart before he came to take Jacob's. And he simply says, Jacob answered to find favor in the sight of my Lord. In other words, hoping it won't kill me. But Jacob was generous. Look at this. But Esau said, well, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And you've been in a position like this. Where you brought something, maybe something that's little more than you wanted to go. Oh, yeah, once you had it, you're like, man, that would look great in my house. And you're gift. And they say, you know, I, that's you know, that's so kind, but you don't have to do that. 
And there's two little voices in your head. One of them's going, take it home, put it in your living room. <laughs> and the little voice in Jacob's head would used to say, keep it. But look at how he changed. Jacob said, no. Please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. And then he tells him why. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please, look carefully the language here. Please accept my blessing. Remember that blessing that he calmed his father on? Put all the goat hairs on his arms so he would smell like Esau. And here is Jacob giving it back. Please accept my blessing, but it's brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough. Taking those words of Esau, spinning them right back. He, oh no, I have enough. So do I. Please take it. Thus he urged him, and thus he took it. Jacob, the guy who lived to take, is now the guy that urged him to take, receive it. Why? Because of God's grace. Now we have the separation of these two brothers here. Notice here in verse 12. Well, Jacob now is staying on the path that God has given him. Remember, it was the Lord that said, it's time to go home. Go home to your family and your home. And he stayed on the path that God had for him. Look at verse 12. You see, Esau offered to travel together. Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. Jacob, however, explained the difficulty of traveling together with children. <laughs> Some of you young parents may realize or maybe you just have a good memory, huh? Yeah. Jacob said to him, My Lord knows the children are frail. And what about those flocks and the nursing flocks and the herds? They're a care to me, and if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. And so Jacob begged off. He said, Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servants, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. And he said, wait a minute, that ain't home. Yeah, stay tuned, friend. Esau offered some help. Hey, I'll leave some with you, uh, some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. And Esau returned home. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. Esau heads home, and Jacob heads home. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built himself a house, and made booths with his livestock. Therefore he named the place Succoth, which of course means booths. <laughs> and Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shemek, or Shechem's father, he bought a 
for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he pitched his tents. Then he erected an altar and called it El Eloi Israel, which simply means God, the God of Israel. Jacob's a new man here, my friends. He ain't a perfect guy, let me tell you that. But this guy has a change of heart here. We ought not to miss this. Jacob just bought property in the land that God had given him. If you've seen the map of God's promised land, it's a lot enormously larger than the land of Israel today. It incurs into part of Egypt and just it's an enormous land. And let's just say this is his first acquisition of the promised land, which more is to well, friends, as we have seen here this morning, one thing we know for sure, the evidence of an encounter with God is a changed life. You can say, I am trusting Christ and live like the devil. You can also say that you have pet vampires in your chest at home, but ain't nobody going to believe it unless they see it. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, Prove it. Live like it. Live like it. Let me ask you this. How is your life different since trusting Christ? For some of you, it may have been your childhood when that happened. I recall going home one Sunday as just a wee lad, I don't know, five, six years old. And my parents, you know, they're so happy and celebrating that I had trusted Christ. And I said, when? Apparently some enthusiastic Sunday school teacher talked me into trusting Jesus, and I, I didn't. You know, it's, it's, it's funny how all of that works. But you know what? It's not about the tale of someone else. It's about the change in character. It's about how different you are. So how is your life different? Are your priorities different than they used to be? How about that vocabulary? I'll tell you what, mine changed real quick. There are some words that I used that were dishonoring to God and pretty much everyone else. And that had to change. But your character. Melanie and I were laughing because we could relate to having come first to Christ, how careful we were trying to be in every way to honor Him, knowing that He had died for us sins and rose from the dead and you know if I sitting down to eat and I grabbed something and ate it before I prayed and oh no what have I done and we were thinking wrongly there God doesn't care if you eat a french fry before you pray see the whole thing that matters is are you grateful what God has provided right isn't that the point we don't live by laws my friend we live by love the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What make sure you pray before you eat? Gratitude, my friends. How are you different today? Have you changed any since then? You don't mind me asking. Has anyone ever mentioned to you, what's different about you? 
I told you that uh, I, after reading the Bible and just life change, not understanding it, it's, it's hard sometimes, you know. I mean, Peter thought Paul was kind of hard to read too, you know. And I thought, I, I need to go to school. I need to learn to understand the Bible. If I'm going to live for Him, I need to understand the Bible. So I figure if I go to college, they tell me everything there is to know about the Bible, and I'll know it all. And I mean, I wasn't trying to be arrogant. I was just ignorant, that's all. And my dad looked at me, and he said, you? So that should give you a bit of a hint how much Christ changed my life. Who would testify of your life? Everybody say, that gal is different. I don't know what's going on, but she's sure. See, when you have an encounter with God, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything begins to change. Because, friends, if there isn't any change, Perhaps you've never come to faith in Christ at all. You simply liked what he taught. See, Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead. And sent his spirit to convict you of your sin and of righteousness and draw you to Christ. So that you'd agree with his Bible. It came to change your life, my friends. Came to change everything. Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask that you take your word and the application of this text and haunt us with it. God, that we might not escape the truth that something ought to be different in our lives if we're trusting you. Lead us by your Holy Spirit into these changes. That we might not, like the Pharisees, just create laws and tell everyone we're different. God, help us to love you and to live for you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.